One of the, the driving factors you know, behind feeding Hong Kong was our concern about the amount of food that was being thrown away. Every time I go into places that are war-torn or even into slums, and when I go into these slums, millions of people in certain areas, I think to myself, statistically, it should have been me who was born here. And if I was in this place, what would I want people to do? What would I want people to respond? How would I want them to, to help me? Changemakers is about passionate people who want to contribute to our community. I hope their stories can inspire you to make a difference or think bigger for our society. In this episode, we'll be hearing from Gabriel Kustein, Executive Director of Feeding Hong Kong, who's building a food bank. She says that we should feed people in need with our excess food instead of dumping it in landfills. And later in the program, I'll speak to David Backby, Global Village Director of Crossroads Foundation. Gabriel Kustein set up the first unwanted food bank in Hong Kong. She worked out a model connecting retailers, distributors and needy people together through redistribution of food. You may wonder how this food bank is different from other food charities. The term food bank you know, means different things to different people and from country to country. As well, there are different understandings of what a food bank is. When we started, and, and this was back in 2009, so it was five years ago, there were charities that had food banks. And predominantly what that, that charity was doing um, was providing food directly to individuals in their community. And generally, these types of programs were not relying purely on donated food, on surplus. I think the common theme is they are feeding people. Now, how we're different at Feeding Hong Kong is our focus is purely on surplus, is on rescuing you know, excess food. And um, so we're currently reaching out to 50 local charities across Hong Kong. At the warehouse of Feeding Hong Kong in Chiang Kuan O, Gabriel describes the food on a shelf that will soon be redistributed to the needy. At the corner, there are over 2,000 pieces of bread stored in airtight container overnight. This bread will get loaded to the van later in the morning. So at the moment, we're dealing with about um, 17 tons of food, donated food, every month. With that 17 tons, it's about 29,000 meals per month. And it's, that's a, a lot of food. So the goal is with any fresh food that we're dealing with, um, that it's in and out as quickly as possible. Um, and the ideal you know, goal is that, that it's being eaten, is being you know, shared by those charities within, within 24 hours. Bread is a food item that motivated Gabriel to set up Feeding Hong Kong and later the Bread Run program. She saw hundreds of bakeries who not save the fresh bread overnight. Volunteers often collect fresh bread from bakeries every evening. The bread will be repackaged and delivered to local charities. Across the city, every single night, you know, there are hundreds of bakeries that at closing time um, if they have fresh bread that they haven't sold that day, their model is that they, they, they don't save it overnight, they, they don't sell it the next day. Because uh, they want to every single day offer their customers the, the, the freshest um, bread that they possibly can. 
Um, so we set up um, our bread run program as a way to to offer those bakeries um, a way to to donate at the end of the day, um, and to make sure that, that that bread would get out to to local charities as quickly as possible. So either same night um, or first thing the next morning. I started looking to see were there any programs where we could we could connect this bakery with a local shelter so that they could uh, at least have the opportunity to donate direct, that there was a gap, that there were some local initiatives where a, a local bakery was reaching out to uh, maybe a senior home or a children's home around the corner and, and donating their surplus. But they were, were very small scale. Really what was missing was a, an organisation that could provide a link between a whole range of food companies um, and all of these you know, hundreds of, of wonderful community agencies that are, are every single day providing support to those in need in their community. Um, and that's what today Feeding Hong Kong is doing. We provide a link between the food industry um, and charities um, that are able to get the food to where there is most need. Gabriel was a career woman. She planned to work in the corporate world, but her volunteering experience inspired her to make a further step to fight hunger in Hong Kong. Feeding Hong Kong has been a very personal journey for me. Um, it's not, I've lived in Hong Kong now for 11 years. I came out in, in 2003. I moved out from, from the UK. Um, at that stage, I was back when I, before I came to Hong Kong. I, I was living in London and I worked in an advertising agency. And then when I moved over here, um, it carried on in a similar path. I was working in marketing and events. And I always enjoyed my job. I had some really wonderful roles and wonderful opportunities to, to, to travel and to meet you know, really interesting people. It was a very interesting job, but it, for me, there was always something missing. I was always, I think, looking to do something that for me um, was a little bit more meaningful, that was, allowed me that opportunity to, to give back. How Feeling Hong Kong kind of came about is, is that I decided to, to take a break, to step step away from, from the, the job that I had. And um, I took a year out to do a, um, a postgraduate course in development studies, um, which was a year where took the time to, to understand more about um, poverty around the world, about how as indiv individuals, how as NGOs, as corporations, how we can help address the issues of poverty, which is still so prevalent around the world, despite the fact that, that we've developed so much. And at the end of that year, I came back to Hong Kong and at that point thought, I would go and work in CSR. I, thought, I was really passionate about development and I, I thought a, a position in CSR was, was really for me the, a, a good path forwards because I started volunteering with a local environmental charity um, called Green to Greener, which is led by a, a wonderful um, lady called Christina Dean, um, who I think truly encapsulates the word eco-warrior. Christina was very passionate about food waste. Um, so when I started volunteering with her, I, I got involved in this project. But there was one day, I walked around to Christina's flat on her table. She had this mountain of bread and she told me the story how the night before she'd um, been around the back of a supermarket. There, a lady had come out of the, the back door of the supermarket, was heading towards the bins and she was going to dispose of all this bread in the bins. And Christina knew that the bread was so fresh, fresh because she could see the steam filling up the wrappers. Um, and so she stepped in. She wouldn't let this lady throw the bread away. Um, and instead she'd taken it home. And that next morning, you know, what we were looking at was not compost, it was food. And that was really the, the moment where, where Feeding Hong Kong began. 
Gabriel also sees a moral responsibility to reduce the burden on landfills. Her work has a positive impact on the environment. One of the the driving factors you know, behind feeding Hong Kong was our concern about the amount of food that was being thrown away.、Um, and currently, it's over three thousand six hundred tons of food every single day that ends up in landfill. From a, an ethical point of view, that we have. People that are struggling in Hong Kong that that aren't able to to afford enough to eat. We have that that moral, I think, obligation to make sure that that we're not throwing away good food. And、um, but at the same time, there's the environmental side that that we have three landfills, and、um, those landfills are going to be full in the next few years. And、um, what are we going to do with all our, our you know waste, not just food but but everything? Over the last few years of her advocacy, Gabriel believes the public is more conscious of food waste and poverty. I think、um, there's definitely been a very distinct change in the I think the awareness and the the debates about both food waste and poverty、um, in Hong Kong since you know we started five years ago. And I'll, I'll never forget, you know, one of the first meetings that I went to when we were, you know, we, we were doing our volunteer initiative, and and we'd you know, had this vision of, of feeding Hong Kong of what we wanted to do in terms of a, you know, a formal food bank model, and going to to a meeting and and sitting down and, and explaining what we wanted to do that there was, you know, there was all this this surplus, this excess food, and and we had a, you know, a vision as to how we could collect that food and and make sure it was instead going to help those in need in Hong Kong. Um, and the person that I was meeting, just very simply saying, you know, well, this sounds great, but you know, really, we don't have poverty in Hong Kong, so I really don't see, you know, why we need a food bank. And I think that is, it is, a, it was at that point. I think there are still many people that would say, you know, we don't have poverty in Hong Kong, we don't have, you know, hunger,、um, you know, isn't a serious issue. We are very lucky. That is the first thing to say. Say that 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 we are very fortunate in where we live,、um, and when we're looking at hunger、um, here in Hong Kong, when we're looking at food insecurity, we're not talking about you know severe malnutrition where individuals are are literally dying because they don't have enough to eat, and that is the case in other countries. You know, very sadly, that that does exist in many places around the world, and that isn't what we're facing in, in Hong Kong. And for that, you know, we are fortunate. Um, but what we do have is, is it's nearly one in five people in Hong Kong that are, are living below the poverty line,、um, and what that means in terms of, of what they're able to afford to eat is they have about thirty dollars a day or less to spend on food. So, with thirty dollars, you can afford to go and buy something. What the quality of what you can afford, you know, that the, the nutrition that you're going to get from that food, it really isn't sufficient. And especially when you 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 know consider the two groups that are, are most vulnerable to, to poverty in Hong Kong, which is the elderly and children. So it's you know one in four children in Hong Kong are estimated not to be not to be receiving three nutritious meals a day. And for seniors, it's even higher. You know, one in three seniors are not getting three sufficient meals a day.、Um, so they're getting something, but just not enough. Gabriel reminds us that food can bring people together. Every Christmas, we organise、um, a series of, of community meals where we really we kind of work with in partnership with our, our charities, and we put together a, a special Christmas lunch. 
uh, and it's an opportunity for, for me and the rest of our team um, to, to actually sit down and to to talk to the families, to talk to the the, you know, the seniors that are, are receiving um, food support, and and also just to see how food brings people together. Um, and I think that's the most the most wonderful thing about the the Christmas lunches. It's really how food is something that. You know, no matter what their their other struggles are, that that they can come together over a meal, and and we can we can help that that happen through feeding Hong Kong. I think the answer is quite simple. That that no, I don't regret it. I would. Um, there are. It's definitely not been an easy journey. It's been a very difficult five years and you know, there's been many personal challenges um, that that I've had to to make and, and things that you know I've had to give up I've changed you know not just jobs but it's changed my entire entire life um, but I think the reward far outweighs anything that I've had to give up I've never felt so happy in, in something that I've done I feel incredibly lucky to have had this opportunity um, and I feel incredibly lucky to live in a place like Hong Kong where you can, you know, have an idea, you can have a, a vision for something and that you can give it a go and you can, you know, build it in, into, you know, something that every day is, is helping um, hundreds, hundreds of people across the city. No, I won't go back. <laughs> The Backbeat family set up the Crossroads Foundation in 1995 in Hong Kong. It aims to connect people in a broken road. I am speaking to a younger member of the family, David Backbeat, Global Village Director and a director of the Global Experience at Crossroads, about his personal journey in making a difference. In terms of Crossroads, I think one of the, the special things for me is that my parents' journey and my journey fused together. Uh, my parents did not plan to start Crossroads. In fact, our family had no plans to start a charity. We, we were living here. But all of us as a family, we had all been exposed to the same kind of needs. And so the question was for all of us, how do we respond? And for you, for me, each one of us individually has a different way that we can respond to this world and to the problems within it. And so for my family at the beginning, my parents were just using their skills um, pro bono, volunteering. But over time, um, an opportunity arose where suddenly there was a major disaster. At that time, it was northern China. Two million people had lost everything in a flood. And people that we had helped before called us and they said, please, we need clothing, clothing for two million people. And so suddenly uh, we had no resources. We began to receive resources from Hong Kong. We sent them off and we realized that Hong Kong had so much to give. It's such a generous community with so many resources. And uh, so we began to take Hong Kong's materials, send them to people in need. And then we realized, not wonderfully, not only is Hong Kong generous with resources, but Hong Kong is it's a, it's a hub for the world. And so we could ship from here all over the world to places in need. And so suddenly this became... Uh, it became a part of who we were. So when I finished my university and I came back to Hong Kong, again, what, what my parents were doing and what my own heart wanted to do, those paths merged. My whole childhood, I had had the privilege of seeing a lot of places in need. 
Uh, I grew up in the Philippines. I did a lot of travel uh, around the world, and I saw a lot of places that were poor. And as a 14-year-old boy, I really wanted to make a difference, but I didn't know how. I wasn't smart enough to be a doctor or a lawyer or an IT guy. Uh, and I suddenly realized um, part of who I was was a communicator. And I thought, well, how can I take my heart to serve people in need? Uh, what does that look like to use me to help people in need? And what was in my heart was a desire that maybe I could use my voice on behalf of people that I had seen. I could, be, uh, I could seek to be a voice for the voiceless. Part of the Crossroads story is about global distribution. David believes that we are living in a materialistically rich environment. His role is to reconnect and redistribute our new stuff to the poor from the other side of the world. I think what truly surprised us was that the world had such great needs and there were such resources that could be used to serve the world, but they were disconnected. We looked all around the world. Warehouses of shoes in Korea, warehouses of clothing in Malaysia, radio equipment in Thailand, furniture in Scotland, computers, 30 containers of computers in the U.S. And globally, as we began to, to look at these NGOs we were helping, we realized um, we received requests from 800 charities from more than 100 countries around the world. We saw all of these people in need. We saw all of these resources and skills and time and opportunities to help them, but they weren't connecting. We cannot contribute much, but if we can link together those who have needs and those who have resources, that strategic link will mean that more help would happen. And so the work of Crossroads, we have this uh, where we're sitting right now. We're in this old army base. When you walk in, you'll see that the paint is peeling and the, the, the walls are cracked. But the, this army base has 40 buildings filled with resources. And 50% of these resources we give to Hong Kong's needy families. And the other 50% goes all around the world. But globally, we saw need and resource disconnected, so we have built a website called Global Hand, and we have also built another platform for the UN, again, to help global people who want to help serve global NGOs. Every time I go into places that are war-torn or even into slums, and when I go into these slums, millions of people in certain areas, I think to myself, statistically, it should have been me who was born here. And if I was in this place, what would I want people to do? What would I want people to respond? How would I want them to, to help me? I asked David about his personal connection to poverty and global imbalances. He explained that people in general think in simple terms that poverty is connected just to money. He thinks that the issue of poverty it's like a web. And I think for me, this concept of the web is very interesting because uh, it means that the issue is not simply addressed by throwing money at it. If poverty is only about money, then the only way that I can help is give money, and I have none. So I can't help. But if I am a doctor and I have medical services that I can offer, then my medical skills can lift one of those threads of the web of poverty or the web of need. If I'm in business, then I can use who I am to create jobs, to create opportunities. If I'm in government, then I can work on policy issues that can help to bring a holistic solution. And because of the complex nature of this issue, suddenly it means that all of us have a way we can engage. Everyone, a student to an old, uh, old retired person, all of us have ways that we can respond to this issue. And for me, that message is empowering. Because I used to feel like I couldn't do anything. Yeah, I'm not a doctor. I'm not the UN. I'm not Mother Teresa. I, what can I do? And yet the truth is that we all have ways that we can serve. Because the issue, it is a complex one.
David runs simulations for people to experience poverty, HIV/AIDS, or even live like a refugee. Those who participate will have a taste of struggle for survival. But we also run some very weird activities that help connect people's hearts. Why don't we bring CEOs from Hong Kong to Crossroads, and when they come, we'll take away their wallet, their watch, their their cell phone, their iPad. We will give them rubbish. We'll let them build a slum, a pan man kai, and for 24 hours they can sleep on the ground, eat with their hands, make a road by breaking rocks. And we did this once. And these business leaders, they were so moved. They said, "Please, can I bring my office back, not for 24, but just two or three hours, so they can care." Principals brought their teachers. Teachers brought their students, and suddenly these programs exploded. And the world said, "We need more. Not just about poverty, but what about refugees and HIV and blindness, etc." And these programs exploded. And this was when the,、um, the UN contacted us and said, "Every year in Switzerland is the World Economic Forum."、Um, All these famous people go to these meetings, and they said to us, "We cannot bring all of these world leaders to refugee camps, but we can bring the message to that meeting." And so they asked us to bring our refugee simulation to Switzerland, and so we shipped our guns and our bombs and our barbed wire and our landmines, and we built this、uh, this simulation in Switzerland. And it was amazing for us at the beginning, and we thought, "Who would come?" But then we began to see Sir Richard Branson, the head of Virgin Airlines, among them. But then the head of Skype, and the head of Wikipedia, and the head of, and the head of, and the head of, and just watching these people go through, and then watching them take actions. And for us, this wasn't a plan to start these programs, but such a, a, a demand has come from every section of society that we keep going. And the most beautiful thing. We've seen, I don't know, a hundred thousand, more than a hundred thousand people go through these programs. About sixty percent are students; the rest are businesses. Each one of them goes through, and not only can feel a, a bit more we trust, but also can realize a bit more what they can do to change this world. And that, for me, is a thrill. So we keep going for that reason. Through these simulations, we then begin the dialogue about what can people do in response. How can a private citizen be who they are and also make a difference? When we're dealing with corporates or individuals, so if we deal with a company, we try and understand who that company is, what they bring to the table, and then we look at this world of need and we say, how can we link that company's skills and opportunities to an area of need? When people come and do our simulations. Uh, and they they just for a moment symbolically step into the shoes of people in need. One of the things I love is afterwards when they talk with us. Sometimes it's with tears in their eyes, asking the question, "What can I do? What can I, my company do?" And I have seen charities start because people have gone through these simulations. I have seen companies burst into amazing engagement with global issues because they've gone through these simulations. I've seen students change their studies. I've seen people change their jobs, and bit by bit, just this beautiful joy of seeing not only people engaging with a world in need, but seeing the world itself being shaped because empowered people are are understanding how they can play a part in addressing world need. Those are some of the things I love. In the context of Hong Kong, David believes that everyone has a role to play. Twenty years ago, volunteering and service within Hong Kong—it had a, it was a very different landscape. But Hong Kong is increasingly and wonderfully—it's shifting in every area, the education sector as well as the corporate sector—to be able to realize that we all have a role to play, and we all, in fact, 
when done strategically, can make a huge impact on the community around us. The, one of the exciting things for me is seeing within Hong Kong this shift of this call to action across every sector where people can again bring their core competency, who they are, to the table um, to see how we can help bring solutions, even for our local society. David is inspired by a true story about a boy who dreams about building playgrounds in Liberia. About a year ago, I was in、uh, Shanghai, and I met a, a, a small boy who was nine years old. And the mother, she thought to herself, "You're only nine years old." But she didn't say that. She said, "Son, what do you want to do?" He said, "Mom, I want to give these children a playground. What do I need?" And the mother looked at her son, and she said,、um, uh, "Land. If you want to build a playground, you need land." So this nine-year-old boy, he went to Google. He typed "buying land in Liberia." He clicked enter, and he learned that if you don't come from that country, you can't buy their land. He came back to his mother. He said, "Mom, I can't buy land. Who has land?" And the mother said, well, "I don't."、Um, the boy now has two acres, but he needs a playground. So he returned to Google. He found on Google a company that takes old playgrounds, fixes them, and sends them to other countries. He dialed using Skype the number on there. He spoke to the CEO. The CEO said, "The playground that you would like to send is fifty thousand U.S. dollars." And this nine-year-old boy said, "Okay." And he spoke to his classmates and his teachers and his friends. And bit by bit, this boy began to create awareness of this issue. And four months later, this playground was being sent to Liberia. This boy and his mother was there. An opening celebration occurred, and the senator from this country was there. The vice president of Liberia was there. Two thousand children were there, and a plan is now there for playgrounds to be built in every district across Liberia. Maybe the government. The government must have land. So this boy, nine years old, went to Google. He typed "government of Liberia." He saw many photos, but one of the ladies in every photo in government was always smiling. And this nine-year-old boy, he said to me, "She had a nice face." So I thought I would email her. So nine-year-old Ian emails this government person. He says, "Hi, I'm nine. I want to give the children of your country a playground, but I can't buy land. Please, could you give me land?" The government official said yes. She gave this boy two football fields of land in Liberia. The difference between myself and that boy was this: that when I looked at the world, I saw a problem, and I said, "Gee, someone should help." But when this boy looked at the world, he said, "Yes, there is a problem, but who am I, and what can I do to make a difference?" And I think, for me, as I as I look at this world, I think so many of us ask the same questions. So many of us say, "Who am I?" And how can I be me to make a difference? David has empowered hundreds and thousands of people from all walks of life to think about their roles in changing the face of global poverty. Thanks to our guests, who are the change makers Gabriel Kerstein from Feeding Hong Kong and David Backby from Crossroads Foundation, for sharing their transforming and amazing stories. More change makers next Saturday morning.